Welcome to the Avenging Hour. I'm Jason. I'm John. This is episode 188. Look at us chugging right along. We are like the little <laughs> engine that could. We are going to cover the first part of a spectacular story that's going to last for weeks. This is Avengers issue 301 from March of 1989. So we just finished Avengers 300, where the Avengers team has been reconstituted with Captain America. <laughs> just add water. Gilgamesh, Thor, Mr. Fantastic, Invisible Woman. Mm. So now we're going to Perfect see these team. five. Yeah, we spent a lot of time talking about this team. Now we're going to see how well these people work together. But the first thing we're going to notice <laughs> Spoiler, is... Spoiler, they don't. When I when I said that who the team constituted, actually it was the captain. Because the last time we saw Captain America oh, in issue yeah. 300, he was still wearing his black costume I, and making people call him the captain. Totally forgot about that. Because he had been fired from his job as Captain America by the United States government. So in the meantime... In the meantime, the man who had his job, John Walker, has gone certifiably insane and started murdering people. Mm -hmm. And so the government has stripped him of the title and given it back to Steve Rogers. So... From now on, he's back to being Captain America, which is pretty much what we called him all the time anyway, because that's who he is. <laughs> or because we forgot. That too. Why are they making him wear a black uniform? I don't remember that at all. <laughs> so anyway, this is called... Oh, well, this issue is written by Ralph Macchio, so we know we're in for some good mm. stuff. Drawn by Bob Hall, who has drawn this book before, but not in a long, long time. And finished, though, doing the inking and the finishing is... Don Heck. I feel like we haven't seen him in a while. We have not seen Don Heck in a veritable month of Sundays. <laughs> like a decade or two. Yeah, so Don Heck, of course, for those who don't remember, drew the Avengers from like issue, I think like eight through somewhere in the 40s, I think. Somewhere mm -hmm. in like the 40s. And he would come back and do annuals and such. Who picked up? That wasn't Busima didn't pick yeah. up right from him, did he? did he? I believe so. Drew it that whole time? Yeah, he drew from like... Somewhere in the in the mid forties, I think, or early or early forties, through to what? Like well, only like through to sixty or seventy, I think, the first time. Oh, that's right. He left. I forgot. And then he came back and did got a lot of sound the same. Uh, got a yeah, couple yeah. early Barry Windsor Smiths. Wins Windsor? Windsor Smith? <laughs> but wait, he did come back because didn't he do the Kang saga when they fought when uh Kang took them through time and they fought the Squadron Sinister? Wasn't that John Pisema? Don't remember. You know, why don't we just keep reminiscing about this rather than talking about the issue in front of us? I mean, we got to waste time somehow, right? So, anyway, it's Don Heck. It's called Supernova Unbound. Sure it is. And we start out with Thor. Although, you'd be more interested in the title on the cover, which is called Into the Lair of the Brain Leeches. I'm sure it's all going to dovetail perfectly. Who saw this cover on the newsstand and was like, oh, oh yes. It doesn't even look like the art's finished. It looks like someone well, just sketched Gilgamesh's face like that. I don't know what that guy looks like. <laughs> it's interesting It's interesting that you say that about the art, because if you remember, last issue in the letters page, Mark Grunewald in issue 300 said, well, Simonson's gone, but John Buscema will be back. Mm. He is not. Yeah, I don't know. Who, it does not come back. I don't know who did this cover art. I. It doesn't look the same as the interior necessarily. And this was before cover art was credited like it is now. Yeah, it's... I know. Is there a signature on there somewhere? No, I looked for it. I mean, it might have gotten cut off when it was resized or whatever. It's weird. Gilgamesh, like I said, doesn't... And it, like, they didn't know what he or Mr. Fantastic looked like. They're like, I think he has white hair on the side <laughs> and a face. <laughs> so what, what, we, what we open with is Thor towing Hydro Base uh -huh. into the New York Harbor. Because so that's it, where it's going to be now. Yeah, if, if we remember, the Avengers had moved their headquarters out of the city of New York because the city of New York is like, why are we letting you store 
3,000 barrels of jet fuel in the middle of New York City <laughs> when, your, when your headquarters is attacked at least once a week. And so they had moved out to Hydra Base, which was out off the coast of New York. But apparently, it was important to the Avengers that they be close enough to the city that they could at least take out some of it mm-hmm. if their fuel mm-hmm. exploded. So they moved the island next to the Statue of Liberty. Seems perfectly safe. It seems like the shipping lanes would be um, disrupted. And it seems... and. You know, they they talk about on the first few pages that apparently Captain America went to the mayor and talked to him and the city leaders and managed to work out a deal with them, which is interesting because the city leaders are not the ones that kicked them out of New York City. That was the FAA. The federal government said, get the hell out of this city, not the city. So I'm confused as to why, but that just is more of them not actually reading past issues. Well, see, they needed to move the island closer so that Reed Richards could install a shuttle tube from Battery Park. Yes. What are they shuttling? Yeah, well, that was that was also one of my questions. <laughs> they don't have anything on, on land. What are they bringing to? Yeah. Reed's like, oh, great. Now we can take this shuttle from Battery Park to the island. And I'm like, why are you at Battery Park? Like, also, you have a fantastic car and you people have Quinjets. Why are you? Why is it an issue for you to be able to take an underground subway? I don't understand. Is someone going to get on the wrong train and end up on Hydra Base? Be like, what? Oh, I'm going to be late for work. And maybe this is just me, but I kind of liked, besides the logic of it, I kind of liked Hydra Base being out in the ocean, kind of being yeah. on its own. Yeah, sure. made sense. But in any case, it's not. <laughs> so they tow it into where it needs to be, and then they have to anchor it. So they have these giant mooring posts, these giant adamantium. Where do they keep getting so much adamantium? Yes, adamantium is supposed to be very rare. And the, Gilgamesh has a, I don't know, 30-foot-tall pole it's, apparently made of solid adamantium it's like the size of an oak trunk and he's just gonna pound it in and make a hole in hydra base you would think they would already have something available to do this that he doesn't have to jam it like isn't there stuff under hydra base like hangers and like yes. quarters and things under there that he's gonna jam this thing through and hope no one's using the toilet at that yeah, time and understand hydra base is a floating island if you <laughs> it's not puncture a hole in it it's not gonna be floating for very long I noticed that the cable that Thor was pulling was, it's anchored into the island. Like, there's these things already there for them to hook up these giant tow cables. And I just, I want to know. I don't know why there wasn't something for the anchors. Don't they have anchors built in? What was it doing out in the ocean before? Is it just going with the tides? (laughs) I would love to see the scene where Stingray comes home and his home is gone. He's like, wait, what the hell happened? (laughs) There's just a couple pieces of trash left. (laughs) What the... Um, oh, I must have left it unlocked. Someone stole it. We're going to see this. You see this throughout this issue, and it drives me insane. I'm just going to mention it now. Ralph Macchio, who, again, possibly one of the most amazing editors in the world. I don't know. I, I you know, but such a bad comic book writer. And he doesn't understand how to do exposition mm-hmm. or how to let us know what characters are thinking. So he <laughs> literally, throughout this entire issue, just has characters thinking thought balloons <laughs> pushing their their feelings out and the plot along because he can't do it subtly or make it organic and it it is so clunky the book feels like it was written for like sixth graders yeah there's that second graders i don't remember if it's this issue or maybe oh no it's next week's issue when surprise the west coast avengers show up he is a horrible hawkeye writer he has Hawkeye like singing all this weird goofy slang and trying to be all cool. And I'm like, yeah. that this I'm already taken out of this issue. I mean, I would say he's a horrible everybody writer, but yes, it's <laughs> it's very obvious with Hawkeye because he gets a major 
So they get uh, the island, I guess, where it needs to be. And, and the, this is when we learn that there's a staff now, right? Now, we learn. this is the first time we learn it in story. In issue 300, we were told on a text page. Oh, right. We had the like the um, official handbook entry with all the yes. people's headshots in it. And Cap, they were like, Captain America's hired a staff. And we're like, he has? <laughs> well, this issue, Jarvis brings Michael O'Brien over to introduce him to the, te- to the Avengers. Michael O'Brien is the brother of Kevin O'Brien, who was the original guardsman. Oh, I thought Michael O'Brien was the guardsman. He was the second, there was the first guardsman, his brother, who put the, so way back in the 1960s, Tony Stark made another suit of armor called the guardsman armor, and it was put on by one of his, at the time, friends, I think Kevin O'Brien. Oh, that guy turned bad, didn't he? The the armor wasn't calibrated to his head, and it turned him insane. (laughs) made him evil. And he became a bad guy. Evil helmet. And he ended up dying, tragically. His brother, Michael O'Brien, wanted revenge on Tony Stark for his brother's death, and put on another guardsman armor that started to make him go insane and evil, but they managed to save him, and he realized, oh, it's not Tony Stark's fault, it was my brother's fault, never liked him anyway. And then he would go on to become the head of security at Project Pegasus. Right. And he has been hired now by the Avengers to be their head of security. He also ends up running the security at the vault, doesn't he? When there's like a hundred, when the guardsmen become like the... Mass produced. Yeah, yeah. Yes, he does. Okay. So that's Michael O'Brien. So that's the first guy we meet from the staff. Yes, and we will see more. We'll see a decent amount of him here and there. So they've got that all set up, and then all of a sudden a big fiery A shows up uh, across the skyline, and they're like, that doesn't look like a four, because the Fantastic Four people are used to seeing. Didn't they do that when we did that... uh when we took a break from the Avenging Hour and we did that other series that covered the first year of mm-hmm. uh, the Fantastic Four, didn't they put a big four up in the sky? They sure did. To make themselves look cool? With flare guns. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's how flare guns work. That is. Um... Sue, Sue, by the way, <laughs> w- before they see this A, Sue is, is talking about how she thinks Reed is delving headfirst into the Avengers because he's trying to compete with Ben, the Thing, who is now the leader of the Fantastic Four. And she says, who would have believed those two, Reed and Ben, would ever be in competition? Has she never read an they issue of her own always title? Always been in competition. Of course they have. Um, I don't want to sound creepy, but Bob Hall draws a really pretty uh, invisible woman. Yeah, yeah, I like Bob Hall as an artist. I think he's good. I don't know what he's doing with Reed Richards because he deforms the hell out of him in like every panel. <laughs> what is that? Yeah, that's it looks like his so legs disturbing. growing out of the back of his head. So disturbing. Um, so they fly off to see who put up this big A, and it turns out that it's Star Fox. Who we have not seen in quite a while. Last time we saw Star Fox, he was running around the universe with Fire Lord trying to locate Nebula. And what's that Star Fox has in his hand? It's Fire Lord's staff. Yep. Looks like he got beat up. And so we find out from Star Fox that Nebula blew up Xandar, which we knew. We found that out in when the Avengers went into space, like in issue like 269 oh, yes. or whatever. It says Star Fox was last seen in issue 261. So well, maybe it, was right two, it must have been in the 250s. Well, we find out that <clears> she blew up Xandar. Well, supposedly the last survivor of the planet Xandar is a being who calls himself Supernova, and he wants revenge against Nebula. And apparently he absorbed all the other Novas? That's what makes him the Supernova? I don't understand. We never find out where he got his power. (laughs) Because when we see him, he's like 30 feet tall. Yes, he looks like Nova, but really, really big. Weird. The big question and the big problem here, Jason, what's the big problem with this last survivor of the planet Xandar? Uh, He's not the last survivor of the planet Xandar. Who else would be a survivor? Uh, Fire Lord is actually from Xandar. Huh. <laughs> we'll be talking about that more than once over the next few issues, I'm kinda, sure. Kind of weird. 
So, in any case, Thor takes Star picks Star Fox up <laughs> like, like a baby and takes Star Fox to a hospital. I got you, honey. Uh, while the rest of the Avengers jump in the Fantastic Four's ICBM. <laughs> yeah, that, what? they launch a missile. And they head out into space to find this supernova. And they find a ship just floating out there somewhere in space near something. Yep. Where, where are they? There's like 17 planets in the background and some sort of Milky Way and maybe a sun. Who drew that garbage? So the I Avengers... Just saw, I just saw Gilgamesh sitting in the doorway. Stupid cow helmet on <laughs> so the avengers board this this ship and they're they're moving through the ship they brought fire lord's baton with them in case they find fire lord but they don't find him they find a bunch of flying brains yes they are they they are attacked as they're flying through the ship by these flying brains why they're flying brains in the ship what are they what's happening there's a very very brief explanation that i can't find right now and we see the beginnings of the problems with this avengers which is that they're in the invisible... Well, the big problem with the Avengers is that Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman are incredibly competent and experienced adventurers, and so are Captain America and Thor, but they've never worked together, and they don't really understand how everybody's powers work, and they don't have that... You know, the Fantastic Four is a well-oiled machine. You can argue that an Avengers with Cap and Thor on it is usually pretty well-oiled, but these people don't know how... They're not working together. Not at all. Uh, Thor, we find this out this time because Thor throws his hammer at the brains, but they're in Sue's force field. So his his hammer hits her force field and she has a choice of either dropping the force field or leaving it up and Thor's, you know, Thor's hammer is ricocheting around or it, it hurts her or what have you. In any case, Avengers fight brains. <laughs> My favorite scene in this is that Gilgamesh's helmet gets stolen. And he's by one of the brains, and he's like, I have to go get my helmet. I love that. Captain America's like, Gilgamesh, get back here. And he's like, but my helmet. <laughs> so dumb. And Captain America's like, I gave that brain $20 to steal that stupid thing. So after this fight where I guess they've murdered all these brains, there's just floating there? Seems she, to be. Sue's like, what do you think those things were? And Reed says, a quick analysis tells me they're components of the Xandarian's living computer, which I once saw. <laughs> they must have been the mechanisms by which the brains of deceased Xandarians were preserved. So you just murdered all the Xandarians? Is that what you're saying? Well, I mean, the supernova is the last Xandarian, so these guys <laughs> sure, don't really yeah, count. It doesn't matter. There weren't all these other ones left. But, so <laughs> then Sue saves one of them in a force field like a pet. Well, that's because Reed <laughs> wants to study one. Of course he does. Oh, So they're using Fire Lord's baton as a beacon? Kind of as a because tracker. Because it burns brighter when it gets closer to him? I don't know who knew that. And they find Fire Lord, who's wrapped up in all these mechanical wires. and There's, uh, It's AIM. They're going to absorb his uh, <laughs> all of his abilities for the end attack. Maybe that's where that attack got fire from. <laughs> and Reed shoots Fire Lord with his own baton, and everyone's really excited. And I'm kind of like, and, and Captain America's like, you should have cleared that with me, Reed. And it's like, guys, calm down. He's... Fire Lord. I don't think shooting him with fire. Hurt him. No, I mean, I don't think you have to be a Reed Richards to figure out that that's okay. Also, Reed Richards is super smart. But it, it frees Fire Lord, but he's still unconscious. And the Avengers are like, what do we do now? What's going on? And then all of a sudden, as Jason said, we have a giant Nova, is. a supernova, if you will. And he shows up and he's like, fee fi fo fum. Uh, and then he's like, yep, yeah, you guys are here. I'm leaving. 
That was it. And then I'm going to blow the ship up after I leave. So good luck to y'all. Yeah, that's exactly what he does. He's like, look, I don't have time to waste with you Avengers. He blows the ship and flies to Earth. And this goes back to the why this issue makes no sense. If he could blow the ship up and fly to Earth, why did he need a ship in the first place? <laughs> Plus, if those Andorian brains... He needed that giant ship just to hold Fire Lord. <laughs> Apparently. And the brains. If those giant brains were Xandarians, like Reed thinks, and Supernova's upset that all the Xandarians are dead, wouldn't he not want to blow up the ship that the brains were in? He doesn't know that... He doesn't seem to have any idea that the Avengers have been fighting his brains. I'm not sure he even knew the brains were there. There's like a bunch of cockroaches in the in the seams of the ship. So, yeah. And that's it. So, the Avengers are all dead. Mm-hmm. And Supernova's <laughs> on his way to Earth the to end. find Nebula. It actually says, next issue, with the Avengers blown up, who will defend Earth? <laughs> oh, letters pages. We find out that uh, you pronounce John Busima's name Busima. Busima. Not Busima. 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 And Scott Tipton has a another letter. Scott in Tipton has a letter. A gentleman by the name of Ed Gildner writes in, and he actually wants Dr. Druid on the team, probably the only person that's ever written into this comic <laughs> with that particular request. He wants to know if Grim Reaper will ever return. What happened to Grim Reaper? We will see Remember? him come. He died in is he, the... Is he buried inside the Vision's house? In West Coast <laughs> Avengers number two, he fell off a cliff. Oh, yeah. While Wonder Man and the Vision were chasing him down. And did they watch him die? Did they kill him? They watched him die. <laughs> did they murder him? Yes. By not saving him? Uh, but he will be back in the West Coast Avengers in, I think, like, somewhere in the late 60s in mm, that yeah. title. I don't really care. I'm just filling time. All right. So that's that's this issue that we just read. Part one of the Supernova Saga. We have two more parts, Jason. Are you excited? Would they be parts two and three? Yeah. No, that's good. You know, we see here the beginning of what could have been, and I will say this, I've said this before, I'll say this again, this team could have been interesting. We see the beginning of that here, not just because they don't, even though these people all are very experienced, they don't know how to work together, but also because there's a lot of of different approaches to what they do. You know, Reed and Sue have never been crime fighters. They've been explorers. So that when when they go up to Supernova ship to Reed, this is an exploratory mission. Yeah. Whereas to Captain America, this is, you know, a we have to make sure this guy doesn't come and destroy our planet mission. And Which is weird for all the times that Galactus has tried to come and eat Earth and Reed just has to come up with some way to defeat him. You'd think he would be used to saving the planet and stuff. But yeah, when he gets up there, he's like, oh, hey, what's this? We need to take one of these brain things. And oh, who built this ship? And oh, who? Well, you know, why, the, why is Gilgamesh here? And, well, we all say that. I think the Fantastic Four have saved the Earth many times, but I don't. I think they always look on these type of things more as exploratory than as whatever Captain America looks at it as. Here's my problem with this, uh, not necessarily this storyline, but this lineup now embarking on their first adventure, uh, besides the fact that I didn't even realize that Captain America was now Captain America again, so thanks for pointing that out. Um, Do you remember when Dr. Druid had joined the team, and I don't remember if it was after Roger Stern? Remember when we had the whole discussion about Roger Stern leaving the title because they wanted him to, they were forcing him to use some character they didn't want to use or something. Yeah, they were, they wanted him to make Captain Marvel take her off the team, make her not the leader anymore. Yeah, and then they brought these. Uh, they had Doctor Druid in there, and he was he was doing all those things where he was like undermining the team, sure, and and making using all these mind comments. control. To... Yeah, and oh, we... oh, you mean before that when he was just when he was just undercutting Captain Marvel? Yeah, when he was just kind of being a dick. Yeah, and we were like, why are they? Why are they? so heavy-handedly doing this and immediately when this team goes out on their first adventure we see it again 
where Reed and Ka- is clearly not caring that Captain America is the leader. And they're making that like the thing. So you know this isn't going to last. For sure. And, and Captain America, the difference being Captain America calls Mr. Fantastic on it. And Mr. Fantastic is usually like, sorry. But but you're right. I mean, it, it's, like as soon as the team got together, they're immediately undermining the lineup. Yes. Again, I Ralph Macchio knows he's just filling in here. Well, I, that's but the, they must have had some other plan. Like they knew this was just a stopgap. Well, that is the question. Did they know what was going on, or are they floundering now, trying to find a direction? Who do we have to ask that to? That's a good question. Because I will track that person down. Yeah, I would really like to know. I mean, we can't ask Mark Grunwald now. Well, yeah, we can ask. He won't answer. I, well, maybe we can get a seance. I I feel like, yeah, I feel like I don't know if they knew that John Byrne was coming. Because I feel like if they knew John Byrne was coming onto this book, they'd have been shouting that from... Don't they mention it, though, in one of... In part of this three-part series, they mentioned it in like the letters page or something that John Byrne is coming. They haven't mentioned it yet. So my question is, was that decided? Like, did, I, I agree with you. It's probably pretty clear that Ralph Macchio was never going to be the permanent writer on the Avengers. <laughs> I think he knew that, too. He yes. seems to just kind of pop in and write when they need somebody yes. to write something. Agreed. So the question is, but the question is, when he took over with 301, they probably said you have three issues. But did he? did they know who was coming next? Like, did, and did they, they know who the team was going to be is my question, too. It's not necessarily the writer, but this lineup, like I said, is already being undermined from within. Well, like The characters are clearly not going to get along. Like Gilgamesh doesn't belong there, and half the Fantastic Four is clearly going to leave and go back to the Fantastic Four. And the question is, did they know that that was going to happen? Like, if, if John Byrne, if they were looking for a writer and they hadn't nailed John Byrne yet, if they'd have brought in Larry Hama to write this at issue 305... Would they have said to him, and this is your team, and maybe he would have said, all right, fine, I'll work with that. Yeah. And it would have been these five. Was it, that, was it that, that John Byrne came in and he was like, no. But what made them pick this team to begin with then? Well, that's <laughs> uh, that's the question that what I'd love Why to ask bother, Simonson. Why bother breaking up the old team? Why don't they just leave them intact until John Byrne came along? It's like a weird transition of, what, eight, nine months here where yeah. you're just like, what? why? Unless... <laughs> The reason that they picked this team was because they, like you said, was they knew it was going to be unstable and it would be easier for them to quickly dismantle this team for the incoming writer where they were like, well, otherwise, if we have the old team, it's not quite so easy for us to completely dismantle that team for the new writer. Who was writing Fantastic Four at this point? This was Steve Englehart was ending his run on Fantastic Four. And who, when John Byrne is going to replace him? No. Walt Simonson Simonson. replaces him. So, and Walt Simonson's first story arc on Fantastic Four is to reunite the team. It, they are basically reunited when he comes in. Sorry, his second story arc, his first story arc is Acts of Vengeance. His second story arc is Reed and Sue, and he brings in Thor. So it's all, he's got half of the Avengers team he set up in that first story arc he writes for the Fantastic Four. So is or is this just the characters he wanted to write? This is weird. It none of it makes sense. I really would love to know what's happening in the Marvel offices in 1988. Yeah, why? 1988, why did they move these characters around? And did they know that this wasn't going to be a permanent thing? And what were they going for? Yeah, it's not like they even. Int- I'm, 
Gilgamesh, whatever. As you say, it's not like they introduced a bunch of new characters. They introduced one who, as soon as John Byrne comes in, is quickly disposed of. And like never seen again. <laughs> Until they finally kill him in the late 90s. Yeah, it's... Or mid-90s. And then this next issue, well, we'll get to that next week. There's a character that came back from being gone forever. All right, so why don't we... Wrap this up? Yeah, and then we'll talk oh. about this next week. Okay, let's do that then. Stay tuned for part two next week. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, you can send comments and angry emails and such to avenginghour at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Instagram at avenginghour, as always. Thanks for listening. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, what? I'm so sorry. We forgot to talk about the bullpen bulletins. Do we have to? Isn't that the one where they're just talking about a bunch of assistant editors doing stuff? Uh, we find out that Denny O'Neill, who used to uh, never worked on the Avengers, but was an editor at Marvel first, got a uh, got married. We mm. found out that Ralph Macchio has a pool. We found out that Marvel plays paintball. Uh, you're you you stopped my wrap up for this. We find out that Glenn Hurdling is going to be doing a Rick Jones story in Solo Avengers. Oh my God! Which I'm not sure if that ever actually happens. I don't know. He's right there. He's in the profile this month. And then it talks about it doesn't how, have a face. How the uh, Marvel people stay in shape, how Stan Lee and John uh, Buscema and Ralph Macchio stay in shape, which I don't actually remember. How do they stay in shape? Again, you interrupted when we could have just moved on from... Okay, so yes. Thanks for listening, everybody. (laughs) Bye-bye.